The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Anton in for Pat. We're welcoming Simon Harris, the Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science in uh, the Irish Government, of course, Wicklow, Fine Gael, TD. And he's here to discuss a series of issues, including student accommodation, additional veterinary and medicine places and budget concerns, as well as issues to do with how the significant surplus that the government now finds itself with should be distributed. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Anton. Before we kick off on, on all of that, your reaction to the NATO protests interrupting the Thánaiste in UCC this morning? Well, I guess being, being very honest, it was probably almost inevitable um, after the week that we have had. I do think it's regrettable that there has been such a focus on trying to stifle debate. I mean, what are, what are people afraid of? I mean, the government's position has been crystal clear and consistent, not just this government, but pretty much every Irish government's position in relation to NATO. We're not joining it. Um, having but said five that, minutes of shouting is hardly stifling debate, is no, it? No, just sorry, public I, sorry, protest? No, very clear. I, I believe the protest was inevitable and people have a right to protest. I just think it's been really quite a bizarre week that there has been so much focus on nearly trying to kind of narrow or shut down debate. What have we actually got to fear? as a republic, from having a good, decent, honest, informed discussion about our security and well-being into the future. And I think the Taunashe deserves great credit for actually establishing this forum. And ultimately, this will be a forum, it'll meet, it'll write a report and it'll come back to And government. what of the People Before Profit suggestion that the manner in which the forum has been constituted intrinsically biases the likely outcome of the discussions? I think that's a bit conspiratorial, quite frankly. Um, and I, I do think it has been, and I don't mean this in relation to that political party, but I do think it has been regrettable, the focus on individuals who are giving of their time, giving of their expertise. Um, and look, this is, I, I think also if you weren't following this closely, you'd nearly be convinced that this was a forum just to discuss neutrality or to discuss NATO. This is discussing a wide range of issues, including issues like cybersecurity, which shut down our health service uh, for a significant period of time in recent years. So these are real and practical issues. Nathanish is right, just because we're militarily neutral or militarily unaligned doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned about our security and well-being and where we fit in the global environment. Okay, let us move to matters within your own area of brief, most notable among them being the additional places that have been allocated for veterinary, dentistry and for uh, medicine. In a statement, the President of the Irish Dental Association welcomed, this is Dr. Raymond Croke, he welcomed the allocation of extra um, places, but finished by saying, we now need to ensure that this plan gets the necessary investment by government as part of budgetary considerations so that today doesn't become another finger in the dam of a much bigger disaster. Well, I nearly agree with everything Eamon said. I think the finger in a dam of a disaster is slightly, uh, is slightly grim. But I mean, he's absolutely entirely right. And I, and I thank him for his welcome of the plan. He's absolutely right that now, obviously, the investment is key. But just for your listeners, what we've done here is tried to move beyond this annual scramble of can you find a few extra medicine places? Can you find a few extra places for nursing? What about veterinary medicine? And we have worked, when I say we, myself, the Minister for Health, the Minister for Agriculture, have gone out to the system and said, what could we do in terms of properly training enough people to work in our health service? What can we do to properly make sure we have enough vets in Ireland to support our agriculture industry? And the good news is the answer is a lot. And over 11 colleges across Ireland came back with really exciting plans. Plans to expand places, plans to establish new veterinary schools, but also plans to do education in a different way to help people enter programmes at a graduate entry route, to have a new medicine programme in Galway entirely focused on rural communities, which I think is really exciting. What we will now do is, is work through what we call full business case. In other words, taking them to the next phase and we'll sit down in the context of the now, whatever about the innovations like you cite in Galway, surely the simple cause and effect of if we need more places, we create them was something that you could have come up with several years ago. 
Why so now? No, I think that's a fair point. And we have been creating them. But but if I'm to be self-critical or critical of the system, we've been creating them on an ad hoc and annual basis. So what can you do this year? You can't just actually make big strategic changes in your country on a year to year basis. You need to actually say, well, what could the next couple of years look like? So take veterinary medicine, for example. We have one veterinary school in Ireland. It's excellent in South County Dublin in UCD. It does a great job. There isn't a veterinary school in regional or rural Ireland. Um, And yet we know there's a shortage of vets when it comes to large animals. We know that 19.5% of vets on the veterinary register are over 60 uh, years of age. We know that every year a couple of hundred Irish students doing the Leaving Cert now will go abroad to Eastern Europe to study veterinary medicine. So trying to, you know, often in politics is an immediacy. What can you do right now? And that's important. But you also need to have a little bit of a long-term plan and vision. And that's this effort to, to join up all the thinking. And in healthcare, for example. Oh, well, sorry, just, just go to back to veterinary college. just for sorry, one second. Yeah, yeah, does that mean that we are going to see a veterinary college established outside of Dublin? It does. Now, again, I, I need to not get ahead of myself because myself and Minister McConlogue have a process to go through. But what yesterday basically showed was there's four viable options. Expand UCD, develop a new school in UL, the University of Limerick, develop a school between Letterkenny and Mount Bellew with Atlantic Technological University, or develop a school in Kildalton in Kilkenny as part of the Southeast Technological University. Myself and Minister McConlogue now will assess how many places they believe they need uh, and move forward. But I think it's inevitable. And are they in essence in competition with each other for the school? Not necessarily in competition for a school and we may decide to do more than one. But I think what we can definitely say at this stage is there will be an expansion in veterinary medicine and there will be expansion outside of Dublin. You have obviously two sets of of crises hand in hand. One of them is the positions within the academic establishments for the students to attend. The other is then having somewhere for those students to live if they get the places. That is wrapped up, obviously, in the housing and homelessness crisis that has been beggaring this government now for the last five or six years, if not more. Any hope on the horizon of solution in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And when we talk about student accommodation, as you correctly suggest, it has to be we have to talk about it in the context of housing supply. I've said to government, I believe my department and sector can actually help with the overall housing challenge because every student bed we provide is doing two things. It's providing accommodation for a student, hopefully affordable, but it's also freeing up potentially a family home or something that could be rented or indeed purchased by someone looking for a house. So we've changed government policy um, quite astonishingly, perhaps up until recent months, the only uh, time student accommodation had ever been built was by the private market or by universities using their own funds. We'd never used state money ever in the history of the state. We've now changed that. We've approved over 1,100 parish-funded student beds in places like Galway, Maynooth, Limerick, DCU. By July, I believe all pla- all university accommodation that has planning permission will have been moved forward. And today I'm announcing the next phase, which is appointing experts to work with what we call our technological universities, the universities in the regions, to come up with their plans in terms of how many student accommodation beds they need. And they're due to report back to me in eight weeks. What has been your experience of that planning permission process? Because whenever we look at the capacity to deliver housing, whether it be accommodation for students or whether it be at a um, broader societal level, one of the issues that comes up is that issue of the complexity of getting through the planning process and how slow that makes the delivery of housing. And that is a challenge, though being very honest, the bigger challenge we have in student accommodation is actually planning permissions that are in place, that projects have been paused because they haven't been viewed viable. And that's what I've been working to unblock. So DCU, Maynooth University, University of Galway, University of Limerick, all had planning permission and just couldn't make the numbers work. And that's where we've stepped in to provide them with funding to help move those projects forward. So that's been our bigger challenge. And how frustrated are you with your cabinet colleague, Daryl Bryan? 
I'm not frustrated with them at all. We're working really closely with them. And we have a Minister for Housing who has an absolute open door to any time any, I come to him with any ideas or suggestions. And we're working very closely together. But is there not a point at which you say you are at this now for nigh on four or five years? When are we going to see, never mind a solution to the problem, when are we going to see the numbers actually start to turn in the right direction? So I think I think when we look at housing, we have to realise that every single person in government has a role to play, no one individual minister. And that's the problem we've made in the past. We personalise these debates and sometimes the opposition and media do that too. My department has a role to play, for example, in the student accommodation, but also making sure we have enough people trained to build houses. We are seeing some encouraging signs though. And I, 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 t- I absolutely take the point in relation to homelessness and the scar that is on society and the progress we need to make and the pain that that's causing. But if you also look at things like planning permissions being up, commencement notices, more people buying their first home last year than any time in 15 or 16 years, around 300 to 400 people buying their first home every week now in Ireland. Where I live in North County Wicklow now, lots of development underway, more social houses built or provided last year than since the 70s. Accepting we're coming from a low and difficult base, but I think real progress has been made. And, and but, but we I still also know have when we go to twelve thousand people in emergency accommodation at a point where we went into a, an eviction ban in the expectation that that six month period would be the buffer for us to drop from the mid tens as then was. There is no indication of improvement there. And the truth of the matter is that exactly as you say, that there was a view that the eviction ban would have actually assisted in that. And actually, we saw the homeless numbers rise despite the eviction ban uh, being in place, which makes me even more convinced that the only solution here can be supply, supply, supply. And like we're approaching this with with new ideas every day. We're constantly coming at this. If you look even in the last couple of weeks, getting rid of development levies if you're building a new home, the government directly removing costs that we would have levied on the building of a home to make it cheaper for you to build a home for someone to buy. And we keep at it. Can I talk to you about the, one of the other issues that's going to impact obviously on students and, and everybody else within the country, which is the sheer expense now of living within Ireland? Because on the one hand, we have windfall levels in terms of uh, corporation tax and other taxes coming into the Exchequer. On the other, we have discovered that we are now second highest in the EU for energy costs, third most expensive for communications costs, third highest um, for um Uh, hotels and restaurants and so on and so forth by almost any category we are exactly where we don't want to be in terms of cost of living what's going to be done about that? And that's why the government is unapologetic in putting a real and relentless focus on reducing the costs that are within our control. So if you look, for example, in my own sector, we reduced college fees for the first time in 27 years last year. We increased student grants above the rate of inflation. So yes, the cost of living was rising. The grants increased at a faster rate than the cost of living. If you look at Minister Norma Foley making school books free for kids. Well, hang on, let me give you a case in point. Sure. We, are, we have the third highest cost when it comes to motoring. Now, if you look at our, our cost there, there's a huge amount of that is in, in government taxation, excise duty on fuels, taxation on fuels, motor tax, all the rest of it. We are third highest what's been done. And by any objective measure, you've seen the huge intervention we made in reducing excise for a significant period of time, uh, particularly when those costs were at a peak. And you also saw that when we were beginning to phase them out, that we didn't do it in one go, but we did it over a sustained period of time. So what we're doing is, and you saw it in the last budget, I mean, €4 billion, Euro, €4 billion in cost of living measures to help people largely before the Christmas period. Uh, People now entitled to the fuel allowance that weren't entitled last year. Every single person listening to this programme got a number of energy credits to help directly from the government reduce the cost of their electricity uh, bills as well. And we won't be found wanting in doing more. We're in a position now 
and it isn't by accident. It's thanks to running the economy well, working with the people to get the country to a good place. We're in a position now where we have resources to help people with the cost of living and we're going to keep doing that but and can make I ask, more measures in the budget. Is it, the, is it government view and policy that the cost of living is what it is and that it is the role of government to help those most marginalised on the outer edges deal with it? Or do you intend to try to do anything to make us as a nation less expensive by comparison to our European colleagues? Oh, it's both. So, I mean, we're living through probably one of the greatest inflationary crises of our lifetime. Uh, and though there's some encouraging signs and we have a responsibility to immediately assist in relation to giving people back some of their own money, by the way. It's not government, it's their own money. Giving them a bit of that back to help them make ends meet. But strategically, uh, as a country now, we have to look at how we can reduce costs and make our country more competitive as we go forward. And what sort of things would allow that to happen? So I, I think energy is a really good example. We can go from a situation in Ireland where we're reliant on importing energy to a situation where in the next decade we could actually be a net exporter of energy and actually have our own national energy supply as, as one example with energy being a huge cost. Investing. Gale promised that 10 years ago. Well, sometimes when you actually make commitments in politics, back to the, some of the things I'm saying earlier, you, you often have to put a vision in place and a plan in place. That takes time to deliver. Some things do take a number of years to but deliver. But you promised it's it 10 years ago that it would have happened within 10 years. 10 years ago, Enda Kenny stood up and said, Ireland will be a net energy exporter within 10 years. That ship has long since sailed and we are no closer to it. Well, I think we're a lot closer because if you look at the fact now that we saw the first auction in relation to offshore wind only in recent weeks, we have training programmes in place to get the people ready to work in these facilities. I know right where I live on the east coast of Ireland, lots of active plans in place also on the west coast. Uh, and we're really, as I heard President von der Leyen talk about, Ireland is so well positioned now to really lead the way in terms of green energy. Text saying, ask uh, the minister what his opinion, what in his opinion is affordable student accommodation, which is an interesting lens to look at it through. Whatever about the provision of it, what do you regard as an acceptable amount that a student should be paying for a monthly accommodation? And it's a really good question to which there isn't one answer because it depends on everybody's means. But what I would absolutely say to that listener is when student grants were introduced about 10 or 11 years ago, they were generally viewed to have covered the cost of going to college. I truthfully have to say that they haven't kept up with that cost. So when you come at the issue of affordability, you can come at it from a number of lenses. There are some people who can afford to pay the student accommodation that's available today. There's many who cannot. Um, so for every euro we're putting in, I should have said this actually, for every euro we're putting into building new student accommodation, we're demanding that the university give us back some of that accommodation with below market rates. And we will be working with them now to set that, that accommodation at below market rates. So in other words, cheaper accommodation for students. But I have sorry, to, I mean, how do you sure. set that? Because when you say below market rates, given the way that market rates are, it could be significantly below market rate and still absolutely unaffordable to the average student. It could be, but I have to be honest here. There's two, there's two things I have to do and I have to do both of them at the same time. One is we have to improve availability of student accommodation because regardless of the cost, there's just not enough of it. For every one bed, for example, in Maynooth University last year, about five or six students sought it. So the first thing is we have to make accommodation available. We have to get projects moving. We can deal with affordability in a number of ways through, yes, ring fencing some for students most in need, but also through student grants, through reducing fees uh, and through other ways like reducing tax on income too. Finally, can I talk to you about the politics of all this? Because you talked earlier on about uh, the manner in which the uh, your party and your government colleagues had been managing the economy. And the logic of that would suggest that if that's if people agreed with you, you would be commensurately popular. You are about as unpopular as you have been in the last two decades. Why? 
I don't ever think there's one answer to that. And I know you'll, you'll, you'll kind of cringe when I give the, the stock answer of polls come and go, but they truthfully do. I mean, there's opinion polls in Ireland now almost every week. Uh, I think we saw a very similar poll rating for Fine Gael around this time last year. We saw it be significantly higher than uh, the next time we're, the next time there was a polling as, as well. I think that the truthful answer, though, is people are really hurting at the moment. There's a hell of a lot of pressure on people. And I think people don't actually crystallise who they're going to vote for. Uh, until there is a general election. Uh, there isn't a general election planned. There isn't one planned for quite a period of time. And what we have to do as a party now, rather than looking inward, is look outward to how do we actually deliver on what the people are telling us they need help. Well, uh, whatever about polls coming and going and snapshot in time and the general yeah. election being the and all of the other things that always go wrapped around that. The last time you were on this level was about what? Michael Noonan's time in the in the general election when he, he delivered 22.5-ish percent. Now, at that point, Fine Gael went through the greatest navel gaze in its history as to how it had gotten into such a corner. Why is there none of the same attitude now? Why is there none of the sense of how did we get here and how do we get back out of it? No, there absolutely is a, a real sense in Fine Gael as to how do we do better, but not in a sense of kind of all sitting around looking at it and going, isn't this very, isn't this very challenging? How do we do better? We, we have to do better by, in my view, uh, getting back to our core values. People who voted Fine Gael want to see delivery uh, on a number of key issues, making sure that they can get through the cost of living challenge, absolutely making sure that they or their child can buy a home, uh, making sure that the state reduces costs, not just around tax and money in their pocket, but also th- things like infrastructural things, really like childcare costs. Um, so we have a big, big body of work that we need to do, and we have to be absolutely focused on delivery. People will vote or not vote in Wicklow in the next general election for me based on how they believe we're making progress on these issues. You talk about Fine Gael voters. Do you think the average Fine Gael voter wants you as leader? Well, firstly, there's absolutely no vacancy uh, in relation to our, our, our leadership. Leo is our leader. Taoiseach, he's doing a great job and he has all of our full support and will lead us into the next general election. Does he have your support unendingly? He absolutely has my full support uh, as leader of the party, um, as Taoiseach. I've been honoured to have been appointed by him. On every occasion, Leo Varadkar has had an opportunity to appoint people to cabinet. Uh, I've been honoured to be one of those people. But the question is, will he be able to rely on that permanently into the future? Well, I think the Taoiseach himself would understand nobody's leader forever, but Leo Varadkar will be our leader for the foreseeable future. He is our leader. He will lead us into the next general election and we will work really hard to get him re-elected as Taoiseach. I was intrigued, though. I was listening to your cabinet colleague, Pascal Donoghue, on talking to Kieran Donoghue last night, Kieran uh, uh, Cuddy, rather, I should say, on the um, hard shoulder. And when he was asked about his support for Leo Varadkar, he said, not only does he have his support now, but he will always have it. Would you echo that sentiment? Yeah, I mean, Leo is the leader and I'm delighted for him to be the leader and I look forward to him continuing uh, as leader. Leaders serve, they do their very best, they lead us into elections, we seek the best result we can get, we seek to return Fine Gael, uh, to office and we see where we go from there. Minister, thank you very much. That is Simon Harris, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science and of course TD for Wicklow. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.